and welcome to another installment of the Sports Rap Podcast right here, as you heard, on Heat 100 Radio, heat100radio.com. Like I always tell you, in the description of the group, which is the Sports Rap Podcast on Facebook, where we are live right now, I always tell you, in the description, there's a link, SecureNet Systems, where you can tune in if you don't have a laptop available or whatever, you know, but you can tune in, you can stream us and get us there. And let's get it cracking. Uh, like I mentioned, the NFL draft, Frank is watching. Thanks for tuning in. The NFL draft is quickly approaching. Uh, it will be underway Thursday is the first night of the draft. And like I said to you uh, in my opening, it st- extends uh, through May the 1st. So that's about three, four days. Um, there's a total of seven rounds in the draft, if you don't know about the NFL draft. And it's a time that is usually in the city of Philadelphia or in the NFL world in general um, looked forward to. There's been talk about the NFL draft, I think, maybe a month after the season was over, and it's been constant. Um, like I said, with these drafts, you know, you have some of these uh, professionals or evaluators, and they put out about five, six, seven, sometimes more mock drafts leading up until the actual day of the draft. And a lot of those drafts change. Some just change minimally. Some change drastically from day to day, from week to week. So I'm not going to get into a lot of detail about uh, who the big players are in the draft uh, currently. But I'm going to talk a little bit about the Eagles and how many picks they have, how they got these picks, what I think may uh, play out, what I think they need, where I think they need to focus in this upcoming draft. So without further ado, the Eagles have a total of 11 picks in this upcoming draft. Um, right now, currently, let's just get that out the way first. This is where they are with picks. This is what they have. Uh, in the first round, they have a 12th, the 12th pick, which came via trade. And we'll talk a little bit about that trade, which we did talk about when it happened, after it happened, or whatever. But we talked a little bit about it, but we'll talk about some of these picks uh, as well. In round number two, they have overall pick number 37. They have two picks in the third round overall, number 70 and number 84. Now, let me just backtrack a little bit because I left some information out. That first pick in the first round, again, um, they moved from number six originally down to 12. And that was in a trade uh, from my with Miami and San Francisco, three teams involved in that trade, which netted the Eagles the number 12 pick instead of the number six pick. There's also been recent rumors or recent talk that the Eagles are looking to trade back up in the draft. So let's just stay there for a second, if you will. Um, With these new uh, rumors and speculation that they may be wanting to trade back up, it kind of makes you believe or leads you to believe that to question yourself why did they trade out of the six pick in the first place? If you traded down to 12 and then you somehow realize that 
some teams ahead of you in your division might also be looking at some players that you're looking at. Now you want to jump back in when you picked before them previously and you were in the top 10, you're now out of the top 10, but you were in the top 10 and you could have had the player that you most coveted arguably at number six. I don't understand it, but again, there are rumors think speculating that they may try and make a move on draft day to get back into uh, the top half the top part of the draft higher than 12 or whatever and i think what i'm hearing is i think it might only be like two spots uh up to number 10 but we'll see what happens um that second round pick and that first third round pick are their own picks the second third round pick which is overall number 84 is one of the picks that they is a pick that they got from the colts in the carson wentz trade and we talked about that there's a lot of speculation that goes along with that. There are other picks um, for future drafts that could turn into first-rounders if a lot of things happen with Carson Wentz um, and the Colts. Moving on to the fourth round, where they have one pick, is overall number 123, and that was another pick from Miami in that three-team trade. In the fifth round, again, one pick, their own pick, overall number 150. In the sixth round, they have three picks, the first of three is their own at 189. Then there's two compensatory picks at 224 and 225. So in the sixth round, they've got one pick um, early in that round, it looks like, possibly. And then they have two picks back-to-back uh, -back in that round. Then they move into the seventh round, where they also have two picks. Um, the first one in the seventh round, pick number 234, is their own. And number the second one, in the seventh round is number 240 overall and that is the pick from the 49ers so when all this draft stuff started and we go back to the end of last season where it was talked about and much ballyhooed that there was a little fix put in in that final game to assure the eagles of the number six pick in the draft which they later on traded away and ended up with the 12th pick. Now, in the beginning, before they traded that sixth pick away, there was a lot of speculation on players who they could have uh, picked in that slot. Uh, there was a lot of talk about Kyle Pitts. There's still talk about uh, Jalen Waddell. Uh, at six, they were even thinking possibly Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner. A lot of ways that they could have gone with that number six. Um, so they have since traded out and they have number 12 right now. And again, like I just mentioned, they are speculated to be wanting to move up higher than 12. But looking at some mock drafts uh, just this morning, number 12 for the Eagles, they're looking, a lot of people are speculating that they may go corner if uh, Jalen Wilder was not there. Corner, it's like J.C. Horn, uh, Patrick Sertain, which arguably, Patrick Sertain is arguably the best corner coming out in the draft this year, which you can easily debate that he possibly may not be there because I said, well, the Eagles sit at number 12. I think the Cowboys and either the Giants or the Washington football team, one of the two teams in the, in the division, uh, is picking ahead of them. Okay. So there's speculation that the Cowboys may poach someone that they had their eyes on and then they're down to J.C. Horn. Now, don't get me wrong. 
J.C. Horn is not Patrick Sertain Jr., but he is a very, very aggressive, viable, in-your-face type of cornerback, something that the Eagles need alongside Darius Slay. The secondary play has been poor for a long time, and I'm being nice by saying poor for a long time. And no discredit to Malcolm Jenkins, who was one of my favorite uh, Eagles players for the short time that he was here, but no discredit to him because due to the fact that the Eagles didn't put much value into the linebacking position after a short while. Malcolm Jenkins, the leader of that secondary, had to do so much where he was almost playing like a linebacker. So undersized on the wing, on the uh, corners, until they brought in Darius Slay. But he was a help. He was a little bit of help. But he can't guard everybody. He can't do it all by himself. He needs some help on that other side and some better play at that safety position. The Eagles also need to do something with that offensive line. They need wide receivers. There are Their wide receiving core is just not up to par. Uh, we've seen over the past couple seasons, these guys struggle to get open. Um, they have untimely drops, and it just looks, it just got worse from when it started. Uh, their selection last year of Jalen Rager, which in my opinion, I don't don't get me wrong, I like Jalen Rager, but I also think that they could have gotten him somewhere later in the draft when the kid from LSU was there and we saw all the records that he set as a rookie for the Minnesota Vikings. There were other players that were available that they did not take. So it's Looking at the Eagles' upcoming draft, there is always a lot of questions, but I think there's a lot more questions this year because they made some moves. They have an entirely new coaching staff. They traded away Carson Wentz, who was allegedly there, who was supposed to be their franchise quarterback. And the one constant is the GM, who in all intent purposes has been the one that has screwed these drafts up for the past several years and he's still here uh one of the one of the things i've always said about howie roseman is in my opinion he's good at crunching numbers Uh, we saw that some this year in the offseason where he uh restructured quite a few contracts to give them some money on the cap due to due to the uh, carson wentz trade where they didn't have any money but he did some things and he got them some money, freed up some space. They did make a couple signings um, in that secondary, but these are veteran guys, which is good. But we've yet to see them perform in this city with this team under this coaching staff. Some of the guys that they have picked up have ties to members of this new coaching staff. So hopefully that will be uh, some positive input for them and, and help in their performance and help bettering that secondary with the Eagles. But I'm sure a lot of Eagles fans that are tuned in, that are listening to me, that I've talked to, some friends and some just uh, followers, they all seem to have the same thoughts or some of the same thoughts that I have where Howie, in a lot of their opinion, Howie should have been the one to be removed 
Um, they should have tried to do something with Carson Wentz here at least one other year. And Howie should have been the one to be gone along with the coaching staff with Doug Peterson and most of those guys. But there's a general, there's just about a general consensus that the problem with the Eagles and their drafts and how poor their drafts have been is still here. And again, that's one Howie Roseman. And a, a lot of people are pretty much fed up with the subpar selections uh, in the draft. Uh, I think the Eagles signed a couple linebackers. There's also been talk about them drafting a linebacker or two in this draft. I think that comes with the new staff, with the new defensive coordinator. And there has to be some type of value put on that linebacker position in today's NFL because you have, on the offensive side of the ball, you have so many running backs that are multifaceted that can definitely run the ball, get you the yardage in between the tackles and from scrimmage. And then they can also get outside and catch the ball out of the backfield and make plays. And you have tight ends now that are built like tight ends but have a lot of wide receiver skills. And that plays into a part with your linebacking core because sometimes when you go double tight end, you might have a linebacker that has to cover a tight end or a linebacker that might have to cover a running back out of the backfield. And you also have your safeties and your corners. But they they need to give a lot more respect and a lot more thought into that linebacker position because that really hurt them the last couple of years, not paying uh, or not being too serious about the linebacker position. Again, like I mentioned when Malcolm Jenkins was here, due to that fact, he had to play so much and do so much closer to the line of scrimmage than his rightful position at safety, where it made the secondary look worse and worse and worse because he had to do so much to help behind the defensive line at that linebacker level. And like I said, the pickup of Darius Slade was a good pickup, but he's only on one side. And the way the defense was set up for the Eagles, he didn't travel like some of the other um, more prominent cornerbacks do with prominent wide receivers on the opposing teams. But they definitely need someone on that other side that can be just as aggressive as Darius Slay can be and can cover some guys better than what they have had in the past. They've also, like I said, they've had some pickups, some signings, some free agency signings that they have that could possibly help, like I said, with the familiarity uh, of the new coaching staff. But again, it's yet to see. We still have to see. They also again, like I mentioned, need to do something with that offensive line. Now, I was a fan of Carson Wentz, uh, but I also felt like he was not out of the woods in that whole situation as far as playing last season. It was just a, a horrible season, uh, all the way across the board, in my opinion. But one of the things that bothered me about the actual Carson Wentz situation was he never, in my opinion, really owned up to the way he played. 
Uh, five years into the league, again, I mentioned it before and I'll say it again, he was making plays or making mistakes that you would not expect from a fifth-year quarterback, starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, so things got frustrating. Things got bad. And people wanted no parts of it, hence the uh, rumors about him wanting a trade and then them facilitating a trade, then the coaching staff getting fired, and they starting somewhat anew. But again, that mainstay is still there. And for the Eagles, I think, like not many other teams, this year's draft is arguably one of the, is going to be one of the most questioned drafts uh, within the Eagles organization because of how the decline was post-Super Bowl win. They got worse every year. And last year it was just a telltale where there was no progressing. It was a lot of decline. And it showed with the season that they had going from uh, near the top of the division to the very bottom of the division. And the ironic thing is the division was so bad all the way across the board that it was still in play in week 17. Again, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, there was, I think, the 9-7 and seven team that hosted a playoff game because they won the division. It's a bad division. We also talked about things like possibly the NFL may be thinking about tweaking that where you had some teams that were 10-6, and six, maybe 11-5, and five, that you would think looking at them and thinking, oh, maybe they should be in the playoffs. But I understand it's their policy. You win a division, you get in. But sometimes I think you have to tweak that because the 9-17 and 17 in a horrible division that had to host a team with a better record seems kind of odd. But I think one of the things that they banked on in that, in that entire situation, in which they will probably stand on, is the fact that at one point the New York Giants at 9-7 and seven made the playoffs and made a hell of a run and went on to win the Super Bowl. So that kind of saves their thought process for them in their eyes, if you will. But again, I also still think that it needs to be tweaked. Maybe you do what the NFL is doing. Like I mentioned, they mentioned, you know, with the change this year, the number one seed only, what is the team that uh, got the, that got the, uh, the uh, buy in the first week. So they've added another week to the season. And with this, you can help because now, even what I was just saying, but tweaking it, you can have that 9-17 and 17 that won the division play one of those teams that didn't get in for that right to get in. Of course, it has to be conference because of the NFL and the way it's set up. But kind of like the NBA has now instituted in their playoff system, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But you could have that 9-17 and 17 in a very poor division play a team that was 10-6 and 6 in the conference that didn't get in because the other teams, you know, just because of where their record stood in their division, in their own division, could play that 9-17 and 17 to get that spot. And then they would go on the road. They don't have to have a playoff. They don't have to have a home game. They would go on the road. So... 
it's a lot that I think could be done to manipulate the situation or strategize and, and clean it up a little bit. Because again, it, it just doesn't really, in my opinion, have a lot of weight when you have that nine, like I said, and, and again, it depends on, like I said, how the division goes. Like, like I said, the Eagles NFC East this year was horrible. It was horrible. Just the whole entire division. And this is where I say in these instances, you have that division winning team play one of those teams with a better record that didn't get in the playoffs to get that last playoff spot and see how that plays out. I think, and you use, you don't even have to add, you just added another week and you can use that week 17 to set it up for that purpose because you have to give these teams another game anyway. And when it gets down to it, you can schedule those games as you get to that game. You don't have to have that game right away in the beginning of the season. This is week 17 because there's still speculation on who teams are going to play, how teams are going to have games uh, or not have games, but who these teams are going to play in that week 17 game. So that's the thought that you could bring that could be brought up in those NFL meetings where you have that week 17 game for some teams that nine and seventeen that won a poor division, or that nine and seventeen and that ten and sixteen that didn't get in, they play and get in and the playoffs in that last spot and see how they perform in the playoffs. So getting back to the Eagles, though, it, it, it's, this draft is going to be highly, highly questioned. Like I said, with all the change that happened in the offseason and the way the change played out in the offseason, and a lot of the thought process of what is Howie Roseman doing? What is going on in that front office where there's a lot of talk around the NFL that the office front office is very dysfunctional. Um, it's even been stretched on some occasions to the entire organization being dysfunctional. So this draft is going to weigh a lot on that particular statement, the dysfunction of this Eagles front office and team. It's going to weigh a lot on the general manager, Howie Roseman. It's going to weigh a lot on the owner, Jeffrey Lurie. And we all have talked about and we understand that Jeffrey Lurie is the type of person who has a lot of loyalty. Sometimes you got to relinquish that loyalty and make better football decisions. I think the Eagles need more people making foot with with football knowledge making football decisions to help improve their situation because in a way they're like the laughing stock of the NFL right now with the regime that they have as far as continuing along with Howie Roseman. Um there are some some other GMs organizations and organizations that respect him and then there are some that think again he's a clown if you will. So we will see what happens uh, on Thursday if they make a trade to move up a little bit, if they stay at number 12, and who they pick. The draft will go again. Like I said, it starts Thursday. It will go from April 29th, which is Thursday, to May 1st. And I believe by that time we will be back on air. So there will be draft coverage. If not, there will be you know coverage of where they are in the draft. Like I said, it's a few days seven rounds so we'll definitely have draft coverage uh next monday and we'll definitely speak on the eagles and what they did 
and what our thoughts of what our thoughts are and what their decisions were in this 2021 upcoming draft. With that being said, I'm going to take my second break. When I return, we're going to talk some of these trending stories. We're going to talk about some black coaches, the rising black coaches, Nancy Double A. Um, give you a little bit about that rules change uh, in the NFL. I mean, in the NCAA for the overtime. There's also been a uniform adjustment in the NFL. I will just touch on that, tell you what that is. And then there's this story that was brought to my attention by one of my followers. And I am definitely going to talk about that. So stay tuned, folks. You are tuned in the sports rap right here on Heat 100 Radio. It's your boy D holding it down. And I will see you on the other side in just a couple minutes. Attention all personnel. We don't play. 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 To the second half of the Sports Rap Podcast this Monday. April the 26th, uh, 2021. And, you know, it's a great day. Uh, The weather is changing. It's getting nice out. So get out and enjoy the day. Have some fun with it. Start your week off right. Do what you do. Get um, into it. And, you know, just have some fun with today. So since we, now that we're back, uh, a few things I wanted to touch on and talk to you about. Um, I'll be right back on Facebook in a few seconds having some little technical difficulties so I'm playing around with that as well and I will get back there for you but we I talked about the NCAA and them uh, beginning or possibly changing their rules for the overtime games so what they've what they've instituted or what they are presenting is their teams will be required to to run two-point conversion plays after a touchdown when the game reaches the second overtime period. Previously, there there was a two-point. Previously, a two-point attempt was required after the third overtime period, so they moved it up a period. Uh, also, if the game reaches the third overtime, teams will run will run alternating two-point plays instead of starting another drive at the opponent's twenty-five, which I think is good. Cuts down the time frame. Um, this rule change is being made to limit the number of plays from scrimmage and bring the game to a quicker conclusion. I, I can see that because it's a shorter field and now you have to go for uh, two-point conversions. And, and there are some things, you know, more importantly, there will have some challenges there and teams will be uh, more up to the challenge and getting that two-point conversion to put that team away. Uh, I also spoke on some changes with the uniforms in the NFL. Uh, Recently, we've seen that the NFL somewhat looks like the college ranks with the wide receivers numbers and quarterback numbers and different position numbers. So what they've decided is under these new guidelines, um, which were proposed by the Chiefs, running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers um, are to wear jersey numbers, which is going from 1 to 49 as well as 80 to 89. Defensive linemen can wear numbers from 50 to 79 and 90 to 99. Linebackers are also permitted to wear numbers from 1 to 59 and 90 to 99. And D-backs can wear numbers from 1 to 49. 
So there was a little bit of an adjustment there. Not a major adjustment. Um, Tom Brady definitely had some issues with it that his concern, and one of the quotes he said was, and I quote, uh, good luck tackling the right guy, which I don't think with everything that has been played out in the NFL the past couple seasons, I don't think there will be that much confusion in that. Um, I think things will be fine with that in that situation and it'll help it'll play itself out you know like I said the football that a lot of us are used to are very similar to the lines of what they are proposing now where quarterbacks wore certain numbers wide receivers wore certain numbers and things of that nature made it definitely Tom Brady does have a small point it definitely made it easier then to who see who what position was playing um and where and when and who to tackle, things of that nature. But, I mean, the, the tackling thing, I think it was like somewhat of a joke on his part because if you play football long enough, you know who you're going to tackle. You tackle the person with the ball. It's not extremely hard. It's not rocket science. So I think that'll work. Uh, some of the players may not like it because they might want to bring their college number, you know, whatever superstitions they have as players. But I think it becomes more back to football as we knew it with the uh, defining numbers for certain positions uh, within the NFL. Unlike, you know, like they said, unlike the college ranks where in college, you know, the numbers were like pretty much all over the place. And I think this gives a defined position allotted numbers where people can be more familiar and and more and understand better, uh, get a better read on what they're watching when they're watching um, a lot of these NFL games. So one other thing that I want to mention uh, before I get to the uh, Sixers talk is something that Simply Monica mentioned as well on the Morning Rush when she gave you a little tidbit of what I was going to bring to you today. And shout-outs to them for that. The Morning Rush always keep me uh, present at some way in their uh, entire show, usually at the end because I come in right after them on Mondays. But that's family, and that's what family does. So shout-outs to them. Be sure that you tune into them tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. and the rest of the week at 9 a.m. with Simply Monica and Rock the Barber for your news, your updates, your current events, your trends, and all of that stuff that goes on in the world. They'll bring it to you from a, a very friendly and knowledgeable perspective. So right now we are back up on Facebook so you can get over there or plug back in and get me right now. The next thing I wanted to speak on a little bit was the rise of black coaches in, within the college ranks. Uh, there have been a number, a number of black coaches who are now becoming more prominent in the NCAA. And and I, I somewhat applaud the NCAA for it, not fully, but it is what it is. Uh, but there is a, a rise in African-American coaches in the NCAA. Jason Collier, Sr., cuz, thanks for tuning in. So many of them have either been assistants 
or longtime assistants. Some have been head coaches, and some of them have had little experience at all. And there, the one, the picture on the article is of Vanessa Blair Lewis. She was the then the head coach um, of Bethune Cookman, and she is now um, a coach at another school. So, also, Dawn Staley, a prominent African American female coach within the ranks, had a lot to say about it. She she likes to see she sees what's going on, and it, it is a great thing to see the uprise in these uh, African American coaches. Um, one of the things that Dawn said, um, and I quote, um, she, and by the way, she just finished her 20th year as a head coach after reaching her third Final Four with the University of South Carolina. Um, and she said she's seen this hiring circle that's hard fought for the progress. So one of the things she mentioned was, and I quote, I think we're in a place where people are more apt to hire, you know, black bodies. Partly it's because of people speaking out on it and awakening decision makers. I also think that people are looking at their athletic departments and they want a more diverse look. Whatever the case may be, it's a good thing for us. We have to make it a great we have to make it a great thing for us by succeeding. Um I think Dawn is doing a very, very good job um with these comments. And she's living her comments right now. It's like they said, her twentieth year as a head coach and coming off her third Final Four with South Carolina. And there is a national championship mixed in there. Uh, She also goes on to say, and I quote, it's more representative of what the numbers are for our student athletes. But I also know there's going to be some backlash. I know there are some people who aren't in favor of what's taking place because it's taking jobs from what the numbers looked like before these black coaches got jobs. So you know, so you know, move over. There's enough room for everybody to be represented, and I'm happy that the ADs and the presidents who are making these hires, if they've been out there for diversity and inclusion, they're putting their money where their mouth is, then it's a great thing. So, on the women's side, just going to give you some names and some things, and i got to get some Sixers talk, and I definitely have to get this high school uh rant situation and and most of you probably already know exactly what i'm talking about with that but i've got to get that in so on the women's side there's johnny hat johnny harris at auburn uh quick little quick about her she has a career as an assistant who played at arkansas pine bluff in the mid 80s uh coached at arkansas little rock nc state arkansas texas a&m and mississippi state over her 37 year coaching career so she is now head coach. Uh, Mariah Mosley at Wisconsin, um, nine years as an assistant at UConn. She led her alma mater, Boston University, to a 45-29 and 29 record over the last three years as their head coach, including a 12-3 and 3 record in 2021, and she will take over, like I said, at, at Wisconsin. Katrina Merriweather at, Mef- at Memphis. Uh, she comes to Memphis from Wright State. She led the Raiders there to three NC tournament, NCAA tournament bursts with a 113 and 47 record, a first round upset of four seed Arkansas in last month's tournament, and also a three time Horizon League Coach of the Year. Uh, Memphis was four and 15 last season. 
Toyelle Wilson at SMU, Southern Methodist. The New Jersey native gets her chance to run a major program after 15 years as an assistant. Freddie Boone, Bishop Boone from the upper room. Thanks for tuning in, bro. Uh, she took the Panthers. She also, she was a head, I'm sorry, she was an assistant coach and three years as a head coach at Prairie View A&M. She took the Lady Panthers to the NCAA tournament three straight seasons. Simone, Simone Harris, East Tennessee State. Um, she was a career assistant. She brings 10 years of coaching experience and successful programs. Second-generation basketball coach, a former player at Elon and NC State. She spent seven years at Drayton, at Dayton, three years with the men's team and four with the women's team. Uh, and that's there. Brittany Young at Austin Pay. After her coaching career, bank began as a graduate assistant under Staley at South Carolina, so that's good pedigree. She landed a job at Austin Pay. She was Nikki McCray's Penson's assistant and recruiting coordinator at Mississippi State. Samika Randall Lay at Winthrop. Um, she served as interim coach at Winthrop this past season and had that intern tag removed, making her the 17th women's basketball head coach in the school's history. She was part of a 1998 undefeated national championship Tennessee team, played three seasons in the WNBA, and she was a head coach at Ohio University for five years, at Alabama A&M for three years, and had stints as an assistant coach at Wright State and Cincinnati before joining Winthrop staff in 2019. We also know of one of the final four coaches as well, University of Arizona, uh, Dia Barnes. On the men's side, you got Hubert Davis, player who was just hired uh, there to replace Roy Williams. Uh, Hubert Davis is known to the family. He was a star player for the Tar Heels and from eighty-eight to nineteen eighty-eight to nineteen ninety-two. Okay, uh, under the basket under Dean Smith, he went on to have an, a twelve-year NBA career. While in the NBA, he played for such coaches as Pat Riley, Don Nelson. Doug Collins, Rick Carlisle, and Larry Brown. Four years working at ESPN, he led college basketball analysts. He returned to Chapel Hill to join Williams' staff as an assistant. Spent nine years in that job before Williams' retirement. He's the first, first black head coach in UNC history and only the fourth African-American head coach in any sport in the, university, in the history of the University of North Carolina. Mike Woodson. Goes to Indiana. Um, you know, Mike Woodson, 63-year-old, has been a successful head coach in the NBA with both Atlanta, with the Atlanta Hawks and the New York Knicks. The connection is here. The connection here is that Woodson was the star player for Indiana in the, in the late 70s. He was drafted 12th overall by the Knicks in 1980. Despite his Indiana roots, the pressure will be on Woodson to create a winner in Bloomington. We all know Shaka Smart, um, at now at Marquette, returns home to his state of Wisconsin to coach Marquette in the Big East, replacing Steve Wojciechowski. Smart spent the last six seasons at Texas. It's widely been reported that Smart was 0-3 in the NCAA tournament while at Texas. Uh, he also, uh, less widely reported, was that, that Smart reached three of the last five NCAA tournaments and won a Big 12 championship. Uh, Smart was unable to produce Texas to the level he did at Virginia Commonwealth, 
where he reached the tournament five of the six years he was there, won six tournament games, and reached the Final Four in 2011. Earl Grant, uh, now at Boston College. Earl Grant is the head coach of the ACC after compiling a 127-89 record at the College of Charleston. Ben Johnson in Minnesota. Isaac Brown, Wichita State. Micah Shrewsbury is Penn State. Tony Stubblefield at DePaul. Drew Valentine, Loyola, Chicago. Kyle Neptune at Foreman. Former Sixer and NBA player Speedy Claxton is now the head coach at Hofstra. Kim English is at George Mason. Shantae Leggins, Portland. Stan Heath at Eastern Michigan. Desmond Oliver at East Tennessee State. Alvin Brooks at Lamar. Rashawn Berno at Northern Illinois. Matt Crenshaw, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, which is actually IUPUI, where George Hill went to school. Jordan Mincy at Jacksonville. Nate James, Austin Pay. Terrence Johnson, Texas State. Justin Gray, Western Carolina. And Dwayne Killings at Albany. Tony Madlock, South Carolina State. And Lavelle Saunders, the interim coach at Binghamton University in upstate New York. So those are the coaches and the prime.